Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Sergeant First Class John Valentine. Welcome to the Veterans Be Real podcast. Here's where we try to keep it real and do our best to help all our fellow veterans out there. This podcast will hopefully open our veterans' eyes into the transition and challenges they are facing and give them some guidance along the way. Please subscribe and download our podcast. We look forward to you, your insight, and your loyalty. Thanks for listening. And now here's Veterans Be Real. Cause we are the brave. Yes, we are the brave. We'll fight you in Veteran Be Real listeners out there, Sergeant Be Real, I'm back. Today I got another Navy veteran, okay? This is another one of our special guys, though. He was Navy, but he liked to play with the Marines, so they had a little different lifestyle than the regular Navy guy. But Brian Jacobs is coming on. He's a Navy veteran with a deep background in, in the medical field with the Marines, so he's got a little bit of an experience, kind of a different lifestyle, all right? But here he is, Brian Jacobs. Hey, man, the floor is yours, my friend. Let's hear what you got to say. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much for having me first off. And thank you for taking the time. You know, I'm really excited to be a part of this just because, you know, I know there's a lot of guys and girls who are going to be transitioning out or those who are already out. And they're kind of looking for what I call the light and the darkness. And it's one of those things in my own life that I wish I had before I got out. I mean, there's some people out there who have kind of, kind of planned this, but all of a sudden you go in and then one day you're out. It, it happens in a flash. And, you know, to be honest with you, you know, I, I never expected to do or go the route I went. I feel like it was, I don't want to say it was a God's hands, but it really was at that time. Uh, because I'm not going to lie to you, I tried to join the Air Force. And the reason I didn't go in the Air Force is because this guy was out to lunch for three days. Yeah, Air and Force. It, Air Force, man. <laughs> dude, what? I was just like. See you in a couple days. <laughs> yeah, the bad thing was he was at the back of this hall. Of, I call it the corridor. Yep. And this corridor, there was, you know, Navy up front, Army was second, the Marine Corps, Coast Guard was even there, actually. And then the Air Force had the back office, like it was the creme de la creme. And I he showed was, up. He was in the suites. Yeah, he was in the suite. Yeah, he really was. <laughs> <laughs> it was. And it was crazy because I was like, I went there to day one, and you could just see all the heads poked out the offices when you walked in. They're like, hey, who's that? All right. Who's that? Yeah. Where, where are you going? Where are you going? Hey, I felt like I was like in Amsterdam, you know, on the street. Like, hey, where are you going? Where are you going? Come here. Let's talk. Like, whoa, calm down. Calm down. Yeah, come here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, here I am. I'm 19. I actually came from a strong military background. So my dad served 20 years in the Navy. He was a Navy SEAL at first, did dive salvage also. Then he was a master arms for his rest of his time, but a drug dog master arms. So he was the best in the Navy at one point in time. I mean, he took me everywhere, so I was the Navy brat, which was really too. cool. Yeah, I got way too, man. <laughs> Navy brat. I, yeah, I didn't. Hey, I wasn't opposed to it. Although, you know, when when your dad's a Navy SEAL, you don't necessarily know when he's coming back or where he's going. Yep. You know, so <laughs> you kind of it's like, oh, hey, okay, I see, you. <laughs> see ya. So that was that was interesting. But my grandfather was a World War II chef. He was um, he was, did the World War II thing, missed uh, Pearl Harbor because he was on the ship that was going around Pearl Harbor and that was doing rounds. And then all my uncles, Vietnam guys, one, my uncle was a door gunner in Chinooks. The other two uncles were grunts. My other grandfather was a CB in Vietnam. I mean, it was just, we can trace lineage back. And I went on Ancestry and it's like, everybody was in the military. So, you know, I guess it's in your, when it's in your blood, it's in your blood. And I was trying to be different, and it, I'm not gonna lie to you. My grandfather, um, after I graduated high school, he asked, "You know, my my last wish is for you just go into military and get some direction in your life." And I thought him. I did. I, at first, I was like, "No, you know, I want to go to college." No one in my family's gone to college. I was like, "We need to do better," because I mean, I saw my dad get out the military, do 20 years, and couldn't find a job. Here was this guy who was the greatest, one of the best dog handlers in the military, had to get out and start doing construction work, like. And even at, you know, 14 years old, I'm able to look at this and go, yeah, this is, you know, this is part of my friends, but this is fucked up yeah. and oh, you're good. makes no sense. And I'm like, and I'm watching this man who was revered and respected and had, he had, um, he had just had a sense of pride to go to 
just having to build seawalls and build houses and your dad was one of the most yeah your dad was one of the most elite fighters in the in the in the country's history and then he came out of the job and he get out that's just just it's just disheartening right and i'm like nothing i mean even at 14 i had the i had common sense because that's i hate to say military brats that's what you get you get common sense Uh, especially because you have to travel so much and you're in all these different cultures and your street smarts have to be on point because i lived in panama when panama was figuring Panama out and if you, you didn't speak Spanish, you, you went down the wrong alleyway, yeah, you, you, you found out. You were in the wrong place at the wrong time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you know, one thing led to another and so you know, my grandfather actually passed away seven days after I graduated high school. Damn, and sorry, Yeah, it was, well, it was one of these things where I grew up with my grandfather and he was a chef, so it's one of these things where you know, food in my life was introduced by eight years old. Right. And, you know, this is where the story really will start to take place after the military and why all that means sense is that I, it was one of these pieces I, I knew I had to, in a way, had a promise to fulfill. And I'm not going to lie to you, it took me almost a year after graduating high school to floundering around. I was a lifeguard. I got fired from that job from dating someone's daughter I shouldn't have dated. Yeah, uh, I was, <laughs> yeah, I was a, yeah, I was a, yeah, I was a lifeguard at a country club that I was not a part of. So, <laughs> yeah, no dating yeah. those daughters. Yeah, no dating those Mm-mm. daughters. I know, no. That's the first thing they said to you. So, what's what's your pocketbook look like? I'm like, pocketbook. What are you talking about? Your bank account. Oh, I mean, I get paid every two weeks. You know, no, <laughs> yeah. didn't work. Didn't work that way. Yeah, no. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. So my grandfather passed away. Six months later, my uncle passed away. That yeah. was yeah. And then my dad and I had fallen out. I moved down to Georgia. Some other things were happening in my life. I came back and it was like, what am I going to do? I had no plan. You know, I was selling cellular phones at the time and then working overnight stock at a grocery store and doing cooking gigs as I could. And there was like, damn, I just need some stability. I need something, you know? Right. And, you know, I just, I thought about hit me in my head. I was like, you know, I could, I mean, I was a great football player. I had a full ride scholarship to go play football at ECU, but I broke my leg and ended up, yeah, yeah, that was not a good. Don't do that. Don't break your leg and try to go play professional sports after that. Yeah, yeah. They 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 tell you, oh sure, show up for try for tree outs, as they say. You can tree out, but <laughs> you may not make it. But but no, I never never took advantage of that. Ended up getting myself into a little bit of trouble and couldn't go play college football because you had to have a job and have to pay some bills and uh, take care of something you might have done. Yeah. And yeah, so ended up going saying, hey, I guess maybe this is this chance, you know? And so I show up at the recruiter's office and I go down the corridor of opportunity, as I say, and yeah. <laughs> day one, out to lunch. All right, cool. Day two, out to lunch. Third day, the Navy guy is the only guy in the office. And I think it was a Saturday. Mm-hmm. And he pokes his head out and he's like, hey, I, you're pretty adamant about joining the military. And I was like, oh, no, the Air Force. Yeah. The Air Force. I want to, yeah, Air Force. <laughs> yeah. He's like, wanna, chill, chill. <laughs> yeah, come down, come down. I don't, we, 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 <laughs> like, time out, time back out. Up, back up. <laughs> like, this is COVID, six feet, six feet, man. Yeah, six, six feet, feet yep. <laughs> posture, posture. Yeah. So I'm sitting there. He's like, hey, well, hey, how do you know you even qualify to get in there? What do you mean? He's like, well, you have to take an ASVAB. And I was like, what's an ASVAB? He's like, well, I tell you what. You know, you can take the ASVAB. You know, I give you the pretest here to see if you should even take the real test. And I'm like, oh, you do that? And then you can transfer my scores? Yeah, yeah, totally. I can transfer your scores. Not a big deal. Yeah. 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 No I'm, like, I'm like, okay. He won't lie to me. He's wearing a uniform. Yeah. This guy really wants to help me, you know. Yay, me. And so, yeah. so Yeah. He's like, just go sit down at this desk and uh, we'll see how you do. I was like, all right. And I, and I was adamant. I was like, well, I'm not joining the Navy, right? He's like, no. You know, it's, you're here taking a test to see if you even qualify to join. I was like, I didn't even know you had to do this. He's like, yeah, everybody has to. So I take this test and this pretest. He's like, oh, you did pretty good. He's like, well, I said, well, it's pretty good. He goes, well, I can't tell if this is where you should be at. He goes, but you have to take the real test. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, there's a real test at the Met. You take that test and then you have to go through this background check and then you have to go through this, these other physical things. He goes, do you have anything wrong with you? Any background, any charges? I was like, no. I, I was like, I, I've been, my dad's a cop right now. My mom's a cop now. I don't get away with life. Life is, life is tough. 
<laughs> so yeah, yeah. So both my parents became cops after the military. Go figure. So yeah, great life. And I had very little friends, by the way. So we'll talk about that later. But anyway, so he takes me up the Meps. I go through the walk, da 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 da. And they're like, "You qualified for the Navy." I'm like, "But I wouldn't join the Air Force." So like, "Nah, you don't want to be in the Air Force." Well, why not? Here it comes. <laughs> He's like, "They're like, let me ask you. Your, your dad was a SEAL, right?" And I was like, "Yeah." He's like. Bro, he goes, your physical fit- fitness test was off the charts. He goes, there's nothing like that in the, in the Air Force. You can't go be a SEAL in the Air Force. And I'm like, yeah, but I never thought about it. He's like, man, what are you talking about? You never thought about it. You should. And I was like, okay, well, well what jobs would, could I get there? He was like, you know what? I'm going to show you what you qualified for. He goes, man, you did so good. You qualified to be a nuke tech and a Navy corpsman. And I was like, well, what's a nuke tech? He's like, man, you don't want that job. I was like, why not? He's like, mm, you're in the bottom of a ship or a submarine. You want to be in a submarine? I was like, no, I don't want to be in a submarine. No, no, not at all. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I heard about those. Nope. Here it comes. Let's go. Yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah, wait. He goes, hey, check this out. And I was like, well, what's this Navy corpsman thing? And he's like, bro, a good-looking dude like you in hospitals, hot nurses, hot young doctors, and he goes, core school's co-ed. Yeah, yeah, I know where you need to be. And I was like, well, what's this little FMF thing? There's like a picture, like a little three by five picture with FMF on it. Is Man, that's optional, man. Don't worry about that. That's no big deal. I was like, really? So, really? And he's like, he's like yeah. He's like, all right, all right, And I was like, man, all right. I was like, sign me up. He's like, he goes, well, I thought you wanted to join the Air Force. He's like, no, man, I got a chance. I could go do this and get a medical background and da, da, da. And he's like, you sure you don't want nuke? And I'm like, no, I don't want to be on a ship and stuff like that. And he was like, didn't tell me about the $100,000 reenlistment bonus. Yeah. Didn't tell me you get E5 out of school. Uh, didn't tell me that it's in the middle of all, all Charleston, South Carolina, where it's all, surrounded by four all-girls schools. Yeah. Mm, lift that out. David Corman, check. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah. So, that, that was how I got into the Navy. And it, the story just gets better. So I ended up going to boot camp. I, I'm kind of a, I was a Navy SEAL kid, right? So I was never like spanked. I was punished through physical fitness. Yeah. And so like I would dig holes when I was in trouble, the size of a Jeep and deep as a Jeep too. That was on like 33 Mickey Thompson's. And yeah, so I was pretty, pretty good in shape. And I remember I was running the physical readiness test. And next thing I know, I got stuck behind this kid and you're not allowed to talk in boot camp. And I was like, um, I don't want to say I'm quietly yelling at him, but then there was this Navy SEAL dude off to my left-hand side, like running in complete silence, not making a sound. I don't know how they do that still. And pulled me out after we finished and said, you know, here's someone who doesn't like to follow rules. So I had to go to AIP, advanced uh, interval, like, integrative training for the next uh, 13 weeks because I didn't know how to follow rules. But I tried out for BUDS in, in uh, boot camp did well, but guess what? You have to go in undesignated. You can't be a Navy corpsman and go to BUDS. All these things, they forget to tell you while you're in front of the recruiter down there. Yeah, they don't. So, yeah, no. And so I go to core school. I'm sitting there day one, minute one, this chief walks in who, his name is Chief Noon. I'll never forget him. Looks like Elmer Fudd. It talks about Wycombe too, Wabbit. It was weird. It was crazy. He goes, 99% of the males in this, in this, no, he goes, the average lifespan of a Navy corpsman in combat is 30 seconds. 99% of the males in this class are going to Fleet Marine Force. Who wants to leave? And I go, FMF. What? I raised my hand. And he was like, you want to leave? And I was like, uh, Chief, I, I heard that was optional. He goes, I just gave your option. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, lucky me. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm like, I guess like, are you serious? What did I just get myself into? Right. And like, and I'm like, all right, well, well, the cool thing was, is that we started with a class of 77 and only graduated with a class of 22. It is the second hardest school in the military. And it is no joke. You fail three times and you're out. Yep. There is, there is no plan B. So, you know, I'm honored to call myself a Navy corpsman. I'm even more honored to call myself a fleet Marine Force corpsman because out of that 22, only 13 of us were males. Out of that 13, only three of us graduated Fleet Marine Force training. You know, it is, it is literally probably one of the most elite 
Um, it's a definitely the most elite medic job, you know, strand of medic. Because you guys too, the, a lot of you out there might listen. And if you're not Navy, a Navy corpsman is more in the Army. They would be considered like an LPN, like a, a licensed practical nurse. They're not as high up as a nurse, but they're like right below. Whereas a regular medic, we're more like the paramedic type medics. Like we only do the base. The Navy guys teach them a little bit more. They go a little bit more advanced. That's why their ratio, their their attrition rates, a little higher too in their in their medical course than ours. But yeah, yeah, for sure. And then when, and then I ended up going to uh, pig school which was even even uh, like goat school. Yeah. So it was even a little bit more deeper. And I tell you, I mean, we went to pig school with SEALs, SAS, Delta. And only the Fleet Marine Force, we were with, I was the second line reconnaissance battalion. So we were a scout unit. And so it was only our unit of FMF corpsmen that kept their pigs alive during training, which was pretty awesome. But yeah. it was crazy, man. I tell you, I, I, I don't know how I got, I don't know how it happened, but you know, I ended up trying out for recon and ended up hurting myself to Naval Hospital Beaufort for about six, seven months to recoup and then was waiting for orders to go back to recon to try out again. And this whole thing, as I'm sitting in the chair, this, this airplane flew into this tower and I'm sitting at my desk and the bat phone rings and the bat phone was not the phone that you want to ring if you are a native corpsman. And so, especially with the FMF calls. And so it was one of these pieces where you know, September 11th was also my mother's birthday, which was even worse. So it's like, I get a, I get a call on the bat phone. And then my mom calls me on the regular phone going, where are you going? What's happening? And I said, I can't tell you anything. I just been told to pack out now. And so I ended up in second Marine division almost instantly. Literally orders were cut. I'd never seen orders cut so fast. Like mm-hmm. I argued with a detailer for like three months to get orders just to down to to get like a shore billet never happened, but they cut your orders when they need you to go someplace. So ended up at second LAR, did the invasion uh, in 2003 with my younger brother, actually, who was also in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. He was with uh, three, seven and I was with second line reconnaissance at the time. I was alpha company. I was with the blue Victor, which I know this is all like, maybe speaking to like most vets are like, I don't know what the fuck you're saying, but I was with a, <laughs> I'm with this other Victor. And so we are with Task Force Tarawa. We are the head force in to the actual unit uh, or its actual invasion and did the battle of Nasria. I was there on the bridges for the two and a half weeks, taking the bridges with, uh, with man, two, eight, one, two, you name it. And that was, that was the first time anybody had ever shot at me in anger and it wasn't with a BB gun. And I'm not going to lie to you. It it changed my life forever. Yeah. It's a scary, it's a scary sound too, because you hear them bullets whizzing. It's, it's, not a fun sound if you've never been in an actual firefight before. It's crazy. Yeah, well, you don't realize how what what the difference is. I mean, the hard thing was is my younger brother was with three seven. He was on our flank, and they were the head force into Basra, yep. and took, they actually took Baghdad, which was crazy because you know we could hear chatter between the two units, and you know when they came in contact with tanks or we came in contact with armed personnel carriers or APCs or snipe, you know whatever you know, you could hear. And so it was a hard thing. I had to block that out of my head because, you know, my brothers were there in combat with me and I had, I had a job to do. And, uh, it was never, it was not pretty. I, you know, every, every year on the invasion of Nasseria, I get these jitters. I get this feeling of like, I can't mean it's like, it's still there. And I still hear those sounds of gunfire and I still hear those. I still hear a lot of things. Yeah. And so it was, it was different. And, you know, we did that. Uh, obviously, ten fingers, ten toes. I'm happy it came back from that. My brother came back from his. Uh, he went back in 2004, and then I went back in 2005 uh, with the uh, the second clearing of the Anbar province, and was part of a Charlie company at the time. Ended up transitioning into H&S, worked with the shock trauma platoon also, and tell you that was that was a different life also. But we, I held my, we held our own team, our own bed. I mean. As a Navy corpsman with that type of medical background and training, you're able to do your own work. And it's, but I tell you, it's, it's forever different. Um, I don't know if, you know, I've heard from other Navy corpsmen who got out and they went into the medical field. They didn't go to combat, most of them. But it was just something that after, after doing what I've done and seeing what I've seen, I couldn't do it anymore. Yep. I know the feeling, man. I mean, I was in Afghanistan in 0405 and I ran an aid station and we had all those guys coming in, all my medics, all my docs. We had an aid station there in Salerno, right on the border of Pakistan over there. And it was, not a fun time, you know what I'm saying? Because you got all that yeah. going on and you're dealing with all the unfortunate parts of combat. So you don't get to, as a corpsman or as a medic, you know, they don't think, you don't think about it, but I mean, you're, 
your bullets are flying, all that kind of crazy stuff. Your head's down. You're trying to save somebody's life or patch somebody up or call in a medevac. And all. It just, it's, it's almost it, – my mind used to slow down in the middle of all those fights because like, yeah. you have to stay calm, keep you your patient calm, keep your soldiers around you calm, make sure security's getting pulled to – you know what I'm saying? Like – because you're trying to keep your head down too. And it's like, I'm a pretty big guy. I'm 6'1". I'm pretty big. So keep it low. What the shit's going on? Like, well, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's you a tough one. Your down and still functioning. You don't know to get into somebody and help patch it up or stop bleeding or whatever. So, yeah. But yeah, I, I got it, man. I, I mean, I'm feeling you. I mean, me and you got a lot connected just from your story. I mean, I, I can feel exactly what you're going on. I didn't have a brother in common. My brother was in the Navy, but he got out before all this happened. But my my soldiers, I was a senior and I was a senior NCO at the time. I was an E7. So I yeah. was the chief level. So I had a lot of guys under me that I'm in Yo, different fobs and at different locations, all over, all my medics are spread out. And then yep. my eight stage. So yeah, I understand that completely, bro. I mean, that's a combat for a medical person, a medic, a line medic is much more traumatizing than I think people give it credit for. Even the, even the bullet stoppers, the, you know, the Marines and the grunts out there and stuff, because their mission is to go kill and destroy. Yeah. Our mission is to keep people alive and get them back safe. You know what I mean? So it's a, it's yeah. a, but you still got your gun and you still got to do your part too. If you're not, and there's yep. nobody wounded, you're still playing infantry, but yep, you got to play both. You got to play infantry, but then you got to be the medic and you know, everybody's screaming doc, you know, when somebody, you know, and I got people calling me from different, all these, you know, angles. Yep. You're like, shit, who do I go to? Cause I can't triage until yep. I see him. So I got to just go to the first voice I hear. So yeah, I understand yep. that completely, bro. That's, that's some, yep. that's some traumatizing shit that happens to us as medics. And that's why yeah. I don't think the medical, the corpsmen and the medics and the army and all those guys are in the line, those line medics and line corpsmen. They don't get the respect that they really. I mean, I have a combat medic badge from the army because they said, "Yeah, you were in combat, you were in firefight." Yeah, yeah. And that recognized. So people in the military recognize. In the army, they recognize that. Know that. Okay, this is a medic that is actually in the shit. So they understand yeah. that. But you know, other other brand. I mean, this is. It's a very and it's a very. It's up here too. Like because all those faces, all those, all that stuff is still yeah. there. It's like it doesn't it's go. Away. Cause this no, brain it doesn't. Of ours, these brains of ours are so complex, they can keep that shit hidden and then just pop it in on you. So it's just crazy. Yeah, I, I tell you the craziest story. So I went out to this thing called Focus, and I'll get off track here. But yep. you know, uh, in my unit, it was it was different because you know that's who you associate associate with. But you know, there was other units around there. So there was two eight, there was one two, and just in Nasiriyah, and they took a ton of casualties in that area. And I come across Battle Brothers from other units and went to this thing called Focus. And came across one of uh, one of probably he's a brother from another mother now, but he was with one two, mm-hmm. and we we crossed paths in Nasiriyah, and we ne- we never knew it then, but you know here we are multiple years later, and we're able to, you know, and I hate to say this, but they I come across you know, and you come across those who tell war stories, you know, they because they weren't there, but they hear things or they say they were there, but they really weren't there, but then you hear stories from guys who really were there, and the memories that come back to you are mind-blowing i mean i've i I can't tell you where i thought i had uh, gotten to a point you know after service saying cool maybe i'm starting to heal and then have a conversation with somebody who was in a place with me and all this emotion starts throwing back up and bro i've had conversations with guys man i swear to god i could taste sand in my mouth and i could i could feel gun i could feel the gun i could i physically i could physically feel Feel it my my blood would be start. I would start getting hyped up, like my, yep. that, you know, what I'm saying, like that anxiety. anxiety. And yep. then I taste dirt in my mouth or sand in my mouth, and I would smell gunpowder. I would smell gunpowder, and there's no gunpowder on me anywhere. But I would yeah. smell gunpowder. I would smell it, and I'm like, yeah. I have to walk out of the room or whatever because it just becomes so overwhelming. You're just like your emotions yep. are from top to bottom, right? And I'm like you. I'm not a guy who goes around talking about that stuff. But if I'm if I'm no. with somebody or like you and we're talking about it, it dredges it up and then you think about it. But like I'm not one of those veterans that go around telling stories about what happened to me. No. I'm not one of those guys. Not I'm no. not about broadcasting my, my history yeah. or whatever. No. But I'm not one of those guys that seek that kind of gratification from saying I was in combat. Because you, you're right. Those stolen valor guys are just talking shit and you can you could tell I go into a bar. I can tell just listening. I'm like, oh, oh my god. We, we can talk. Let me go oh, the other way. Can, uh, I don't want yeah, to we, yeah, let's go the other way. We can talk about that. Oh my god. Yeah. I tell you, but it, I, you know, and I'm not gonna lie to you. One of the biggest issues, you know, my post services, um, I had that, and I had it because maybe it was combat, but I was, and you understand this, but because as corpsmen, we have to be emotionally numb. Yep. You have to. Mm-hmm. There is just, I don't know how to express it. I, I can't. And the only thing I can tell you is that people who I've dated uh, can tell me what it is because they said there's something about you that is off. Even when I got back, my my mother said, you, you know, you, well, you, 
you know what's scary for both of us? You know what's the most scary for both of us is I'm married, right? I'm, I have a wife and she loves me wow. to death and I love her, but she knows in an instant I can cut my emotions off and not have any feelings one way or the other, good or bad, about anything <laughs> you're telling me about. I can just, like, I, in my head, I just go click and it's off and I don't even give a fuck. I just don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? I don't yep. care. And it drives her bananas. She's like, how you love me so much? I, I do love you. But in the moment, in that moment, when I get to that point and my, my levels go up, it's a defense mechanism because of my training. Because I've been on top of guys doing CPR and blood's coming out of their mouth as I'm pushing on their chest. So I know, and I'm breathing in their mouth. And I know I was emotionally screwed up, but I had to stay focused to try to save this kid's life. And I innovate him or I did whatever, blah, blah, blah. Because when I saw blood come out, I said, okay, crap. I got to go and innovate him now. So now we're yep. trying to innovate Plan B. Yep. Plan B, right? Rod? But you can't have emotions. I knew that kid. Like he was in yeah. our, he was in the unit in the fob that I was at. And they yeah. met him back and back to us. And I'm trying to save this kid's life. And he didn't make it. But the point is, if I didn't keep my head clear, I wouldn't, because the doc said you did everything you could. You innovated, you got him, we got him into surgery right away after you got him here. You had him breathe, you know, you had him, his lungs still moving, he was still functional, but he had so much trauma to the inside of his body from getting blown up that he, there was just nothing we could do. I said, Roger, yeah. doc, you know, and it, but in your head, you're like, this kid, I knew this kid. We had lunch two days ago in the mess hall, yeah. and we were shooting the shit about the fucking football game or whatever, blah, blah. And yeah. now all of a sudden the kid's dead. You know what I'm saying? And people yeah. don't realize that as a medic or as a medical professional, it doesn't matter if you're a nurse, whatever. When you deal with death and people's emotions and people's, that's why doctors are, people think doctors are hard because they walk in and say, yep, you're not going to make it. It's because yeah. inside their, their brain, they've trained themselves to not get emotionally connected to anybody. And then yeah, it I makes personal, interpersonal issues are almost impossible when it gets to that. Yeah. The, the hardest part for me was when we went back to Iraq, I mean, both times is that it was the families that came and saw them off. Yep. And they knew who you were. They knew that you were the difference between life and death. Yep. And a lot of, I guess you can say, the rocks I carry in my ruck is feeling that I failed those families. You know, I, I failed those. Of, I have a lot of guilt too, man. But what I've learned too, what I've learned is, you know, like I wear a bracelet. The bracelet I wear is one of my own medics that I didn't even know was him until 10 minutes into him being in the OR because he's so covered in soot. I couldn't see his face. And we yeah. couldn't find it. You know what I'm saying? So it took 10 minutes before I realized it was one of my medics and he ended up dying. But yeah. And I go to his family, I'm saying, I, shit, you know, he was one of my guys. And I'm like, you know, I felt guilty, but I also look at him as an adult. And I said, I told him this, this, and this, and he didn't do some of those things I told him, or he didn't do it. Or the, yeah. even the guys in the line unit, you tell them, get your ass down, because it's a fight. And they don't get down, they get hit. You're like, God damn it. And then you got to go there and drag them and try to save their life. It's like, yep. stay down exactly. right now. We're overwhelmed. Yeah, we're overwhelmed yep. right now. We, a, a little one or two guys shitting there, st sticking up, sitting there, and four of them shooting is not going to help us. Get down. Let them waste their rounds. Let's reconfigure what's going on. Talk to whoever and to re reassess what we got to do. But yep. yeah, you're, you're right, man. It's the guilt that we feel as medics because we knew those guys. and we Because I live with that all the time. I see their faces all the time. I have all their names in a book that I keep in my footlocker that's locked up. I have everybody's name. Yep. That, I have a lot of shit that if people really got into my stuff, like my wife got in there, she'd be horrified if some of the stuff that happened. Yeah, I've got, yeah, me too. I've got my original footlocker and it's sealed. I mean, it's got yeah. stuff in it that, it's, you know, when I get married one day, you know, I, you know and, I, and I find that person that, you know, I'm going to share those things with her because she's going to have to know who I am. Yeah, and, you, and, you're gonna, uh, and I'm going to tell you something, brother. I, I finally did that with my wife and did that. I went to a retreat and me and my wife, I finally opened up about some of the shit that happened to me over there. And it brought me and my wife even closer, even though she was right. kind of caught off guard by it. But she didn't judge me. She didn't think I was a bad person. And that's, and that's what we're worried about, you know. Yeah, and that's what, in our head, you're going to look at me like I'm <laughs> not the right person. So, I mean, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I but get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You definitely got to do it when you get to that. When you find the right person, you definitely got to open up. Because I've learned holding that shit in forever with the person you love or person you care about ain't gonna make that relationship any better than what it was. So yeah. Yeah, I know, man. And uh, you know, and I've seen the downward turn of that. You know, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, I um, I don't know. I I love the fact that I I served the way I did serve. You um, should be proud you of know. you, man. Exactly. Here's the other thing too. You did save lives. Like I saved lives. Yeah. So the lives I saved matter just as much as the ones I lost in the sense of it could have been even worse for me or it could have been even yeah. worse for you. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. Well, I, I've gotten to the point where, you know, knowing that the guys who died in combat, you know, they, they died Marines yep. and, and they were honored to, to die that way. Yep. Um, they, they and wanted, that's what they wanted. Yeah. You know? that, because that's yep. what we come in the Marines or the army or whatever, because you yep. want to serve your country. And, and that's the ultimate sacrifice. We all know that no matter what our MOS is going in. Right. That's that what you're there to do. Sacrifice. So, you right. know, I was ready. I got blown up two or three times in trucks. And I knew, I thought, shit, how am I not dead? But then, yep. you know, you just, it is what it is. You got 10 fingers, 10 toes, and you're like, holy yeah, like, shit. I get out truck. I'm looking at this guy's blown. I'm like, after I check everybody, I get done. I'm like, looking at myself, damn, I don't have a scratch on me. You know what I mean? What the hell yeah. happened? How did I? I got jettisoned out of one. 
but I just, where I land, I hurt my shoulder, but I didn't like, it wasn't blown up or nothing, but I'm like, I'm a guy at the truck where I had to go patch him up. But I'm like, I don't know if God just had his, you know, there's one of the things where like, you believe God just had his hand over you at that Dude, moment so that you're okay. Uh, so you, so you can take care of the rest of the guys kind of thing. Cause that, that's how I took it. But yeah. All right. So, uh, <laughs> so now hey, we're we through our combat trauma. <laughs> yeah, we, we can go through that. Jesus. Let me, yeah, say me and you can oh. have an offline conversation about me and you can be real close, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let, let's, start, let's talk now about how it ended up. Well, now you get back and it's time to get out of the Navy. Oh, Jesus. What we're let doing say now. this. Yeah. So open up that is, can of worms. Let's open up that. Jesus, oh my God, this is a can of worms. And so here's where, like, I tell people, like, I'm the, I was a bastard child in the military because I, I tried to get orders. I'm in Iraq trying to get orders to go to a shore command because I have been with the, the Marine Division for five years. Mm-hmm. I've been yeah, age grade underway. Like, yeah, they've been using been, you up. Yeah. I mean, I've been. I was like home maybe six months out of five years, mm-hmm. and that's because of CACs. That's because of this. Because of this. Because of this. And then I re-upped because I was like, you know, I can't let my guys go back without me because that trust is there. Guilt. Yeah, guilt. Yeah, t- mm, tell me about it. Yep. I was like, oh, I'm going to be there. Don't worry. And I'm coming. I'm coming too. Yep. And uh, so I'm sitting there and I go to try to get out. And here I'm talking to this guy in Millington, Tennessee. He's, a, he's not a corpsman. He's never deployed. He's never been to combat. And I was... I'm not gonna lie to you. If if I ever run into this guy, and I don't care if he's listening, you and I are gonna have some words because he, he would not give me a shore command. I said I just need some downtime. I said make it 18 months. Let me go to a training command. Let me just get my head together. Something. He's like, no, you don't understand. You're a designator. You're an operator, and I can't do that. And I was like, yes, you can. Like I hold I hold two NECs. You could definitely use one or the other. And he's like, so. He ends up writing me orders to go to a, a Norfolk Naval Clinic with, and so I was like, okay, cool. But I get the orders and I'm like, this looks weird. So I call up Norfolk Naval Clinic and I said, hey, I'm dead to come in. He goes, he goes, yeah, man, you shouldn't even unpack though. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, you're being dead right back out in second Marine Division. And I'm like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. So you're saying I'm leaving second Marine Division to come to your clinic, then to be shipped back out to second Marine Division and have to go to a new unit and learn a new set of training, a new set of guys, a new set of everything. I said, what the, are you serious? And he was like, yeah. He goes, I, I have your packet here already drafted for you to be redebted. And I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, how long before I get redebted? He's like, 30 days. I was, like, I was like, I might as well just stay in and stay with my own unit. Like, at least I know who we are and how we train. And so it was either, and the detailer, I called them back and they were like, yeah, you either take the orders or you don't. I was like, well, if I don't, then I get out. Mind you, I'm still in Iraq. All right. So I get home November 5th. I'm out of the core by November 12th. Right. That whole decompression, you get downtime. Yeah. Nope. They were like, uh, they were like, hey, appreciate your service. Kind of. Bye. And I'm like, okay. I went to taps for seven days, turned in my gear, turned in my gear. And uh, (laughs) the stuff that didn't get missing in Iraq, as I say. Oh, my God. And. Yeah. And then I was straight out of combat, straight into civilian life. And I had no clue of the war that I had just walked into. No clue. I didn't have a grass was greener on the other side mentality. In fact, I was actually kind of nervous because I didn't plan on getting out. I, I planned on doing 20 like the rest of my family. But my brother had just gotten out a little earlier from the Marine Corps. And here I was in the middle of another, as I call it, like a desert ocean. Yeah. with really no direction to walk in. And I tell you, man, when you talk about stumbling and falling, I had about 34 different jobs before I figured out a lot of things, which is one, I had a problem that I, I do have PTSD. I did have an alcohol problem at that time. I had an anger problem at that time. I had a authority problem, <laughs> which was if you didn't serve with me, then you don't have the ability to tell me what I do. Yeah. And it was a bunch of ugly problems because I was not ready to be a civilian. And I became homeless during this process due to some, some other radical things. But I ended up, you know, my brother's a professional couch surfer. I was homeless. I was living in my Honda Accord right outside the VA in Hampton Roads, actually, underneath the bridge. And I had no, no direction. I had no, I don't, I, I was lost. I tried to go back in the military. And I remember having to write a letter, why, why Navy, why now? And I just looked at the recruiter and I said, I just, I was like, and I said to him, I said, I'm lost. I don't know what to do. I don't know having a place to go. I'm homeless. And 
he was like, well, you know, but the military is not going to fix that. I was like, well, it's going to give me, it's going to give me back what I lost. Yeah. And he's like, is it? And so they didn't allow me back in, which was crazy. And I'm talking about I'm combat. I got, I got, I got my combat. I got two combat ruins. I got all kinds of other chest candy, exemplary yeah. uh, service. I mean, would have put on E5 as I was going to get out, which is extremely hard to be to get HM2 as a Navy corpsman. Yeah. And, so it was, it was mind blowing. I was completely, the person who used to stand in the mirror and feel so much pride was now meek, meager, broken. It was, I was, I was nothing that I was. Yeah. And it was crazy because I had a younger brother going, doing the same thing on the West coast. He was couch surfing. He was doing all these things. I had no clue. We barely were able to keep in contact and he had a severe alcohol problem. He had severe PTSD. Um, he, you know, he was in the Haditha, he was in Yuseba during the 04 or 05, and I was through Ambar, and it was, I don't know, we just could not get our shit together. I don't know what, what why or how, and, and I had an, an awakening, and the awakening was, I'm literally passed out on a bench, I'll remember this, and today I die, and, and my grandfather used to always say this to me, and I don't know if it just, it was in my head, but he was, you're going to have to get your life together, son, because no one else will for you. And there was something he used to say to me all the time. And somebody said that, that voice came and I was like, wow, like here I am waiting for somebody to save me. I'm waiting for somebody because I was so used to doing things as a team. I was so used to relying on somebody. I was so used to having my brothers around to support me and I had nothing. And my family didn't understand me, obviously. My dad didn't you know, really understand me. My mom didn't understand me. Um, they were divorced by then. And so I didn't really know how to fit into each of those new lives. And I just, I, I went back to something I remembered that I found I had love for, and that was cooking. And uh, I remember, you know, this is where my grandfather's chef came in. He started teaching me how to cook when I was eight years old. Right. And it was one of these most amazing journeys that I had ever been on. And the always thing, I, something I always fell in love with, and always had a place with and a purpose in. And of course, my dad cooked and my mom kind of cooked, but my dad was a barbecue dude, but my grandfather was the cook, you know, he was the chef. He was the chef of the and house. He was. And I love cooking so much that I even took two books to Iraq with me. I still have them on my shelf, right? matter of fact. It's all about soups and stews and all about pasta, how to make them. Right. And I would read these books when I had downtime just to pull me back. It was my grip. It was what reminded me that there was something at home and something that... I could go back to, but I, I never pursued it until I decided to make this choice. Um, before that, I was a, uh, I, so, I sold everything from insurance to lawnmowers to heating and air units. I did vacuums. I did do vacuums. I sold vitamins. I was part of every multi-level marketing thing you could figure out just because it sounded like a get rich quick and I could make money and I just needed something. And I didn't, I didn't have a place to live. So it was like, here, I'm like a mobile, <laughs> like a mobile, like everything, you know, I could just do it. And it, um, and everything failed, everything failed. And I don't, and I, I looked at my, and I look at my look back on that now. And, but I remember if it didn't fail just because of the job, it failed because of, of, I didn't know who I was. Yep. And, um, I was in a, in a way reborn, but I was born in a war that it was, I'm used to everybody having your six to now everybody trying to plus you. Right. And I didn't realize the war I stepped into. And that's what I tell people. Right. And so as things you know, progressed, I slowly started finding a little bit of peace of me. I showed up to culinary school, actually homeless, mm. and signed up for culinary school. I had, this is before the uh, new GI Bill came into place. And so it was a partial Montgomery type piece. So I jumped on that wagon and just started going to school. And it came so natural to me. Everything, everything. And it was, it was almost, I was starting to rebuild my own, who I was. It was, it gave me a place in the world and something I was proud of. It gave me a uniform to wear. It gave me structure. It was organized chaos, which was what I was used to. It was teamwork had to have, had to happen, but it, this, there was an opportunity um, for me to grow. And I, I just remember saying, if I'm going to do this, I'm just going to give my all. And because I did that, it has taken me to places that I can't even express. Yeah. It has given me so much opportunity to find something I'm passionate about. And 
you know, having find that found that passion, you know, finding your purpose within passion, you don't know when that's going to happen. That has come several years later after finding that. So, you know, after dilly dallying for, you know, months and finally getting myself together, I ended up working for a really great chef in Virginia. He transferred me to Florida mm-hmm. and where I worked for another really great chef. And from there, the, the world just opened up and it was, it was a lot of good times and a lot of rough times. And I, I talk about finding purpose, which is what a lot of people these days, they're trying to figure out. They're trying to find out why do, why, why do I exist? And I think the older we get, we try to find purpose because we may have passion or we may figure out we don't have any passion. And now we're at a crisis in our life where we don't know where we fit, or where we belong. And, you know, one of these, these gifts that have come into my life haven't come through joyous opportunities that come through trauma and pain, actually. And, you know, six years ago is when I was truly gifted my purpose. And it was at the loss of losing my younger brother to veteran suicide. Man, bro. I'm sorry to hear that, my friend. Anytime we lose a veteran, it's just crazy. But to lose a family member is amazing, bro. So I, my heart is with you, my friend. Yeah. I went, through, I went through a stint of even that guilt that we carry as medics as I failed. Because I, I just didn't fail him as, as a brother in arms. I felt like I failed him as a brother in life. Mm-hmm. And it was the whole world stopped again. It was... Almost the emotions from combat came back. The anxiety came back. The, the some of the pain that I didn't know I was carrying mm. came back. Yeah. And then, then that's when I went out to focus out in St. Louis. And it's all about focus. It's an amazing organization that takes the Navy Corps and Marines and some Army that have been wounded in combat and give them focus again. Yeah. And it was one of those things where I truly needed it because. It was one of those pieces where I was able to reconnect with brothers yep. and I was able to make a, a new, new relationships. Mm-hmm. And those relationships are, have been amazing to me and supportive of who I am. And when I say I received my purpose, you know, it took his loss to give me a new life. And out of his death, we created a, or I created an organization called Vet Chef, which is basically taking veterans who are homeless, displaced, or in second chance nice. and helping them find a passion and purpose and food. Yeah. Because I figured if food saved me, it can definitely save a few others. And it has molded into from just being a, it was just an idea and a program that was a 14 day, you know, crash beat you to death boot camp to a 501c3 nonprofit called Vets to Success, where the whole idea is to take this veteran mindset and be able to give it a passion and purpose through food and brew where we're focused in culinary, baking arts, and brewing arts. Nice. And it's an on-the-job training model. That sounds amazing. I, I, one of my dreams, me and my wife's dreams, is to open up a restaurant one day after we get done with all this other stuff we're doing. Because I love food. <laughs> we're like big food people. We love food. I love, love food. I'm, I'm all, I don't know if it's a medic thing, but I'm all about food, man. <laughs> Maybe yeah, I, love, like, I love to eat. They don't, yeah, I love to eat. I love some food, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's good. So, hey, man, this has been fantastic, Brian. I mean, you've been amazing. I mean, we have a lot in common, myself, me and you personally, so there's definitely that friendship can build from that for sure. But for all you out there listening, all you all you guys out there listening right now, you got a real in-depth kind of view of what it was like as a Navy corpsman in the Marines and what he went through and then some of the traumas he went through when he got out. It was kind of a shell shock. He got out because he didn't get what he felt was fair for him. And then all of a sudden he's on the street. He's got a whole bunch of shit going on. So this guy – Pulled himself up now. Now he's a chef. He's a well-known chef. And you're in Florida still, right, Brian? So you're still yeah, in Florida. Yeah, in Florida. Yep. And we're about to, actually, May 20th, I launch on Food Network. Nice. Um, so I'm making my first Food Network appearance May 20th. We've started a new company. It's a meal company called Reveille Meals. You nice. can check that out at ReveilleMeals.com. We actually hire the veterans from the program, from Beth the Chef, into the program. So you eat good, make a difference, and you get great food you know, delivered to your door. Dude, this guy's killing it, guys. Listen to this guy. You hear what he's doing? <laughs> this guy's killing it, bro. I mean, he's, he's a role model for all of us as veterans of where he's been and what he's done and the things he's doing now. That's amazing, Brian. I can't wait to see the show. I watch Food Network all the damn time. I mean, yeah, so May 20th, Guys Grocery Games. I'm yeah, on we'll the, make, uh, yeah, we'll make sure we're on that, man. May 20th. I'll make sure I record that one. Man. So, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I mean, and I'll be honest with you, the, the final thing that really kind of separated me is um, I got a great chance to go to France and get a double master's from Institut Paul Bocuse. Leon, no. but I ended up losing my mom five days before going. 
Um, yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, wait, wait, it gets better. Okay. It gets a lot better. So, but you know, she ended up asking, you know, making me make a promise. Mm-hmm. And that promise was to finish what I started. Yeah. And I, and that's what we're doing, what we're doing. That's why the nonprofit exists. That's why this meal company exists. That's why we do what we do in this world because I made a promise. Yeah. And it's one of these things where she, 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 and I not to, you know, really reminisce, but I was brought into this world challenged. I was crushed at birth and couldn't hear or speak properly for the first seven years of my life. Yeah. And she saw something in me that where others didn't. And obviously I pulled through it, but she was always there for everything. And when I lost her and I, it was almost like it was a piece that I'll never, ever be able to replace, obviously, but oh, yeah. I still can feel that pain, that love. Because every day that we make strides and every day that we make a difference and every life that we save that come through that program, I know that her heart's mending too because of the pain that she went through losing my brother. Yeah, I'm sure. And I'm, and I'm sure she's immensely proud of you up there in heaven with all the angels watching you and shit. She's probably can't, she's probably boasting or crazy, like going like nuts up there. You're doing amazing things, Brian. I mean, you, you are a role model for what we need to do. I mean, you went through some hard times. You had some hard, tough shit, but you still pulled yourself through and you still persevered. Because, and I think a lot of it comes from your military training and being around those Marines, you just, you just keep keep going and keep pushing forward and, and being successful, man. I, I am super proud of you, man. And I don't even know you Thank that you. well yet, but I mean, I'm, ex- I'm extremely proud to even know who you are. I mean, that's Thank the kind you. of impact you've had on me during this. So I'm hoping everybody out there Thank listening you. can take what Brian is saying and take that for real, that it doesn't matter how hard it gets. You just got to keep persevering. You got to keep pushing forward. You got to keep reaching for dreams. It took, it took his grandfather to reach out and say, hey, man, get back in there and be a chef, be a man. And now he's a chef. Now look what he's doing. He's going to be on Food Network Channel. He's going to do this. He's got a nonprofit that's helping veterans find jobs. But then on, on top of that, becoming chefs and becoming these people that can provide for other people. I mean, it's amazing, Brian. It's fabulous. So all you guys listening out there, Brian's episode will get launched soon. He'll, you'll see a flyer out on it soon. All that information you heard about his website, about all those nonprofits, all that stuff will be on the flyer so you can check it out. You can also see that on our website, veteranbereal.com. When you look up Brian's name, you'll see all that stuff in the information. So you can go check it out now once we get that up here in the next couple of days. And then you'll be able to check out all of Brian's stuff. And then follow him, man. Go to his Facebook page. Like it. Follow him. Go check out what he's doing, guys. Support him. Us as veterans and soldiers. This is a fellow veteran who's out there making an impact on our community, our veteran, our 1% community, right? He is making a tremendous impact. And I know Florida's like Texas. There's a whole lot of homeless veterans that are, that are homeless in those areas. So he's got a lot of people to work with and a lot of people to help out there. So go out there and show some support. Get on his Facebook page. Acknowledge him. Throw some yeah, money at his nonprofit. You. If you've got a few extra bucks... Throw a few bucks his way for his nonprofit to help these homeless veterans become successful chefs or or even just line cooks, whatever it may be. But give these guys an opportunity to get a job. You know what I'm saying? Because that's what Brian's trying to provide them. So, Brian, I am overwhelmed at you being on the show with me today, man. I am. I am. I am. And I am gratified to know you, my friend. You're an amazing human being, and I'm proud of you. And and everything you're doing out there in Florida and what you're doing for that veteran community out there is amazing. So, thank you so much. Appreciate everything you're doing, brother. Well, hey, thank you so much for having me. And you know, there's. There's a lot of work to be done, and you're right. The nonprofit, you know, could use all the support. Nobody gets paid. Nobody gets a paycheck. It's been running for two and a half years, and we're in a phase where, as soon as we get out of this COVID thing, we're hoping to continue to impact lives. We're opening up the nonprofit in Tampa, St. Pete area. We want to extend it across the United States. We have a great model. So uh, you might be reaching out to Texas pretty soon because I got a buddy who's a chef now, and I got a space and location that I can get him to help kind of move you us will be the fort the, the the texas version of what you're doing so definitely gonna i would love it i would love yeah, it because we'll we can open revenue out, meals man this yeah, would we'll be great reach out. i really appreciate it and again you know thank you for what you do because i tell you i wish i had something like this just to listen to before i got out because i knew there was men and women out there who had done this before me and have pulled themselves up and my grandfather was one of those i saw my dad uh-huh. become one of those. your next thing now is you got to write a book man you're gonna get you gonna i'm gonna get you you need to link up with me later and i'm gonna get you hooked up some people to help you get guy you need to write a book my friend because that would be a bestseller okay. that could go to your nonprofit, whatever but I would love that, that shit would be so I'll, I'll link you up with some buddies i know about right because they're talking to me about writing a book and i'm not ready for that yet but you're ready oh thank I you i know for Go a ahead. fact you're ready because that would sell and it would raise money for your nonprofit or whatever else you're doing yeah, that's get what your I want to do. Out there. So that'd be huge, man. So let's talk. Well, about hey, I, I want to say thank you for your service, brother. Um, yeah. I, you know, I tell you, I meet a lot of medics, and I, every time I meet one, they look at me like, "Wow, you are a Navy corpsman." But you know, I look at y'all too. We have a utmost respect for our medic brothers. We're we all, all serve. Yeah, we're all brothers. Yeah. 
All us yeah. line medics are brothers in the end because we were out there in the fray. You know what I'm saying? We're not like those hospital medics, which I got no disrespect to. I mean, some people got to stay back in the hospital and run the hospital. I got that. But exactly. those that have to be out in the front lines with the guys dodging bullets and, and eating gra- gravel and all that shit, a little different. So there's a, yeah. there's a very unique brotherhood with all of us because whether you're a corpsman or you're an army medic or whatever, you're still in the same mud. You're still in the same dirt. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's all the same. It's still the same. Exactly. Well, hey, I appreciate this. And, uh, you know, I hope anybody's listening, you know, hey, listen, you know, we're here to help. If you want to reach out, I'm Chef Brian Jacobs is on Facebook. That's the success of Facebook. Redley Bills is on Facebook and Instagram. We're all, just reach out, you know, and if you're having a bad time, bad place, I tell you, one of the, the greatest things I ever did was ask for help. Yep. Ask and, for uh, help. Yes. You just got to talk to somebody. You just got to talk. Exactly. And, and that's uh, it, Brian. So like I, and like Brian said, all those links will be on the, on the, on our webpage. They'll be on the Facebook page on our Facebook. All that stuff will be there available for you guys to reach out to him, find out what he's doing. Just do a little, just do a little. And I'm serious, guys. If you got a few bucks, you don't have to be rich and have a lot of money. I'm telling no. you, if a thousand people donated five bucks, he would raise them 5,000 bucks. You see what I'm saying? It'd so be amazing. If you just donate three or four, five bucks, right? And then tell your friends, hey, help this guy out. He's helping veteran. I run a nonprofit too, and I do that all the time. Hey, I ask for $5 donations. I don't want a lot of money from you. Just five bucks, and then tell your friends to donate five bucks. Because if I get enough yep. people to donate five bucks, I raise enough money to do my mission and complete my mission and feed all the soldiers I'm feeding and take care of birthday cakes and whatever. And Brian does the same thing. So just throw a few bucks at him, guys. It ain't going to kill you to give up a, ni- a nice donation to an organization that's doing yeah. And you heard him. No one's getting paid. They're just putting the money back into the programs, right? So right. this guy's going to go right back into these veterans that are struggling to survive, and he's providing yep. that opportunity. So think about it, man. Yeah. All right, thank Brian. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And last thing, you know, go like the page, invite your community to like our pages because yep. that's how you spread good messages. And we could all use some good, some good word these days. Yeah, and especially right now. Some good yeah. inspiration. Yeah. Tell yeah, me about it. Right oh. <laughs> all right, man. Well, that's a wrap everyone. Hope you all got something out of this podcast today. Please tell a battle buddy about us and stay tuned for our upcoming podcast. Don't forget to visit our website at www.veteransbereal.com. Support us because we got your back. Till next time, everyone, I'm out of here. Oh,